0: This episode is brought to you by Robin. It's a new year, but when it comes to your clinical documentation, it might feel like you're always dealing with the same old problems. It's time for you to meet Robin. Robin develops clinical notes and codes for patient visits to save orthopedic surgeons 90 minutes a day. Robin's documentation is also more complete thanks to its one of a kind smart assistant. It helps you reduce your first pass denials and collect what you're owed. Robin isn't your same old documentation service. It's the new solution your practice needs this year. Visit robin.co slash orthobullets to learn more. That's robin.co slash orthobullets. This episode of the Orthobullets podcast will go over the topic of wear and osteolysis basic science from the recon section on orthobullets.com. As a quick overview, osteolysis represents a histiocytic response to wear debris. The steps in the process include one, particulate debris formation, two, macrophage-activated osteolysis, three, prosthesis micromotion, and four, particulate debris dissemination. So as far as evaluation of wear and osteolysis, radiostereometric analysis is the most accurate and precise technique to evaluate polyethylene wear. It uses radio-opaque tantalum beads planted in the bone to follow the position of the components relative to the beads on radiographs. So now let's go over the different steps in the process of osteolysis in a bit more detail. So starting with step one, particulate debris formation, let's go over the different types of wear. Adhesive wear is the most important in the osteolytic process. Microscopically, polyethylene sticks to the prosthesis and debris gets pulled off. Abrasive wear is a cheese grater effect of the prosthesis scraping off particles. Third body wear is where particles in the joint space cause abrasion and wear. Volumetric wear is the main determinant of the number of particles created. It is directly related to the square of the radius of the head. Note that volumetric wear more or less creates a cylinder. Remember the formula v equals pi r squared times w, where v is volumetric wear, r is the radius of the head, and w is linear head wear. Note that head size is the most important factor in predicting particles generated. Finally, linear wear is measured by the distance the prosthesis has penetrated into the liner. Now let's talk about wear that leads to particulate debris formation. So as far as wear rates by material, we'll go over polyethylene, ceramics, and metals. So with respect to polyethylene, know that non-cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene wear rate is 0.1 to 0.2 millimeters per year. Linear wear rates greater than 0.1 millimeter per year has been associated with osteolysis and subsequent component loosening. Highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene generates smaller wear particles and is more resistant to wear, but has reduced mechanical properties compared to conventional non-highly cross-linked. Factors increasing wear in total hip arthroplasty include a thickness of less than 6 mm, malalignment of components, patients less than 50 years old, men, and a higher activity level. Note that femoral head size between 22 and 46 mm in diameter does not influence wear rates of ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene. Moving on to ceramics, know that ceramic bearings have the lowest wear rates of any bearing combination. That is 0.5 to 2.5 microns per component per year. Ceramic on polyethylene bearings have varied, ranging from 0 to 150 microns. Ceramics have a unique complication of stripe wear occurring from liftoff separation of the head gate. Recurrent dislocations or incidental contact of the femoral head with a metallic shell can cause lead pencil-like markings that lead to increased femoral head roughness and polyethylene wear rates. Finally, moving on to metals, know that metal-on-metal produces smaller wear particles as well as lower wear rates than those for metal-on-polyethylene bearings, ranging from 2.5 to 5 microns per year. Titanium used for bearing surfaces has a high failure rate because of a poor resistance to wear and notch sensitivity know that metal-on-metal wear stimulates lymphocytes. Finally, remember that metal-on-metal serum ion levels are greater with cup abduction angles of greater than 55 degrees and smaller component size. As far as particulate type, ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene is the most common, but there's also PMMA, cobalt chrome, titanium, and third body wear. Particulate size is typically less than 1 micron. Now let's move on to step 2 of osteolysis, which is macrophage-activated osteoclastogenesis and osteolysis. So this step results in macrophage activation and further macrophage recruitment. Know that macrophage releases osteolytic factors or cytokines including TNF-alpha, osteoclast activating factor, oxide radicals, hydrogen peroxide, acid phosphatase, interleukins like interleukin-1 and interleukin-6, and prostaglandins. As far as osteoclast activation and osteolysis, know that the increase of TNF-alpha increases rank, and the increase of VEGF with ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene enhances rank and rank L activation. With respect to rank L-mediated bone resorption, know that an increase in production of rank and rank L gene transcripts leads to osteolysis. Moving on to step three of osteolysis, which is prosthesis micromotion, know that osteolysis surrounding the prosthesis leads to micromotion. Micromotion leads to increased particle wear and further prosthesis loosening. Remember that N-telopeptide urine level is a marker for bone turnover and are elevated in osteolysis. Finally, moving on to step four of osteolysis of debris dissemination, know that an increase in hydrostatic pressure leads to dissemination of debris into the effective joint space. Increased hydrostatic pressure is the result of an inflammatory response. Dissemination of debris into the effective joint space further propagates osteolysis. Finally, a circumferentially coded prosthesis limits osteolysis in the distal femur. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 64-year-old male underwent an uncomplicated right total hip arthroplasty eight years ago. He now reports the insidious onset of right groin pain that has been present for 10 months and recalcitrant to anti-inflammatory medications and physical therapy you suspect he has a local soft tissue reaction caused by the main articulation that is mainly lymphocyte-driven. Assuming physiologic range of motion and adequate positioning of the components, which of the following articulations does this patient most likely have? And the choices are one, metal on polyethylene, two, ceramic on polyethylene, three, metal on metal, four, ceramic on ceramic, and five, polyethylene on polyethylene. the correct answer to this question is 3, metal-on-metal. So metal-on-metal articulations have the potential to produce significant soft tissue reactions known as pseudotumors, which are lymphocyte-predominated. Metal-on-metal articulations gained short-lived popularity due to their decreased rate of volumetric wear and increased stability compared to traditional metal-on-polyethylene components secondary to larger head size. However, as clinical experience grew, we learned that metal-on-metal hips had a failure rate that was 2-3 to times higher. The metal-on-metal articulation also produces much smaller wear particles than the traditional metal-on-polyethylene designs. These small wear particles stimulate lymphocyte recruitment, which is the main reason for pseudotumor formation. Metal ion levels, that is cobalt and chromium, should be evaluated in patients with these articulations. Suker et al. review particle disease and the biological mechanisms in periprosthetic osteolysis. They report that the biologic activity produced is highly dependent on the characteristic and quantity of wear particles. They conclude that a comprehensive understanding of the biologic mechanism of failure is crucial to develop new therapeutic interventions to reverse or suppress this process. Haskawa et al. reviewed the immune responses to metal debris following metal-on-metal metal total hybarthroplasty to determine its etiology. They report that T-cells dominate the reaction produced by metal-on-metal articulations, confirming it to be a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. They conclude that metal sensitivity is not involved in the failure of metal-on-metal total hip arthroplasty. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, macrophages are responsible for any reaction resulting from polyethylene debris. Answer 2, ceramic on polyethylene, and answer 4, ceramic on ceramic, are both incorrect, as ceramic bearings have the lowest wear rates of any bearing surface and are not driven by lymphocyte response. Finally, answer 5, polyethylene on polyethylene is incorrect, as polyethylene on polyethylene bearings are not used in total hip arthroplasty. However, if polyethylene debris was produced, it would be a macrophage-driven response. Moving on to the next question, all of the following promote osteolysis around orthopedic implants and are paired with the correct inhibitor except, and the choices are 1, rank ligand and denosumab, 2, TNF-alpha and etanercept, 3, COX-2 and celecoxib, 4, IL-6 and tocilizumab. and 5, IL-10 and anakinra. the correct answer to this question is 5, IL-10, and anakinra. So interleukin-10 or IL-10 inhibits pro-inflammatory cytokine production, osteoclastogenesis, and osteolysis. Anakinra is a receptor antagonist of IL-1, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. To quickly review, periprosthetic osteolysis is a common mode of total hip arthroplasty failure. It is initiated by wear debris from prosthetic implants. Debris triggers activation of macrophages which subsequently secrete many cytokines and inflammatory mediators including TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, and prostaglandins. The resulting inflammatory cascade ultimately promotes osteoclastic bone resorption and fibrous tissue formation. Talmo et al. detailed the basic science behind osteolysis and potential pharmacologic agents in the prevention and treatment of osteolysis. In addition to anti-rank ligand antibodies, TNF-alpha agents and COX-2 inhibitors, bisphosphonates and growth factors can also target osteolysis. Bisphosphonates incorporate into bone and prevent osteoclastic resorption. Growth factors such as TGF-beta and BMP2 promote osteoblastic bone ingrowth into implant porosities, enhancing implant stability. Bucata et al. performed in vitro experiments with fibroblasts derived from wild-type, COX-1 deficient, and COX-2 deficient mice. Loss of COX-2 function resulted in decreased PGE2 production as well as IL-6 production. This was replicated by addition of a COX-2 inhibitor to wild-type cells. Therefore, COX-2 inhibitors such as celecoxib may decrease osteolysis beyond direct inhibition of prostaglandin synthesis by inhibiting the downstream pro-inflammatory cytokine cascade. To quickly go over the incorrect responses, Answer 1, renclagand and denosumab is incorrect, as renclagand stimulates osteoclastogenesis, promoting osteolysis, and is inhibited by denosumab, which is a monoclonal antibody. Answer 2, TNF-alpha and etanercept is incorrect, as TNF-alpha is a pro-inflammatory cytokine that promotes osteolysis and is inhibited by etanercept, which is a decoy receptor. Answer 3, COX-2 and celecoxib is incorrect, as COX-2 produces PGE2, which stimulates production of IL-6 and promotes osteolysis. Celecoxib is a selective COX-2 inhibitor. Finally, answer four, IL-6 and tocilizumab is incorrect as IL-6 is a pro-inflammatory cytokine that promotes osteolysis and is inhibited by tocilizumab, which is a monoclonal antibody. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following molecules is associated with macrophage-induced osteolysis surrounding orthopedic implants? And the choices are one, BMP7. Two, IL-10. 3. SOX9, 4. osteoprotegrin, and 5. IL-1. The correct answer to this question is 5. IL-1. So of the options provided, IL-1 is most associated with macrophage-induced osteolysis surrounding orthopedic implants. Macrophages initiate the inflammatory cascade associated with aseptic loosening of orthopedic implants by secreting platelet-derived growth factor or PDGF, prostaglandin E2 or PGE2, TNF-alpha, IL-1, and IL-6. Archebeck et al. state the primary cells involved in the process of periprosthetic loosening include the macrophage, osteoblast, fibroblast, and osteoclast. They report the chemical mediators that are responsible for the cellular interactions and effects on bone primarily include PGE2, TNF-alpha, IL-1, and IL-6. Drees et al. discuss the molecular pathway of aseptic loosening of orthopedic implants they describe the following steps. One, where debris particles released at the cement bone interface attract macrophages, which in turn are stimulated to produce pro-inflammatory mediators and proteolytic enzymes. Two, rank L, TNF-alpha, IL-1, IL-6, IL-17, and MCSF mediate the differentiation of myeloid precursor cells into multinucleated osteoclasts, which release cathepsin K and acid, as well as cause resorption of the lacunae. And 3, mesenchymal cells, that is prosthesis-loosening fibroblasts, present at the bone surface, contribute actively to bone resorption. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, BMP7 is incorrect, as BMP2, 4, 6, and 7 all exhibit osteoinductive activity, but BMP3 does not. Answer 2, IL-10 is incorrect, as IL-10 inhibits osteoclast formation along with calcitonin. Answer 3, SOX9 is incorrect, as SOX9 is a key transcription factor involved in the differentiation of cells towards the cartilage lineage. Finally, answer 4, osteoprotegrin is incorrect, as osteoprotegrin binds to rank L on the osteoclast, preventing rank activation and inhibiting osteoclast activity. Moving on to the next question, highly cross-linked ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene has which of the following characteristics as compared to conventional polyethylene? And the choices are 1. Improved ductility. 2. Increased fracture toughness. 3. Increases the elongation to break. 4. Improved resistance to crack propagation. And 5. Improved wear resistance. The correct answer to this question is 5. Improved wear resistance. So ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene is a semi-crystalline polymer that has been used for over four decades as a bearing surface in total joint replacements. The mechanical properties and wear properties of ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene are of interest with respect to in vitro performance of ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene joint replacement components. The mechanical properties of the polymer are dependent on both its crystalline and amorphous phases. Altering either phase, for example changing overall crystallinity, crystalline morphology or cross-linking the amorphous phase can affect the mechanical behavior of the material. Per the referenced article by Genker et al., cross-linking improved wear resistance but also was found to decrease the ability of ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene to resist crack inception and propagation under cyclic loading. The findings also suggested that annealing as a post-irradiation treatment may be somewhat less detrimental to fracture crack propagation resistance of ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene than remelting. Answer 1, improved ductility. Answer 2, increased fracture toughness. Answer 3, increased the elongation to break. And answer 4, improved resistance to crack propagation are all inversely false statements. And moving on to the final question. Which of the following variables is associated with elevated serum metal ion levels following metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty? And the choices are 1, smaller implant diameter, 2, smaller acetabular cup abduction angle, 3. Higher postoperative functional scores. 4. Severe preoperative osteoarthritis. And 5. Antiversion of the acetabular cup between 10 and 20 degrees. The correct answer to this question is 1. Smaller implant diameter. So smaller femoral head diameter is associated with elevated serum metal ion levels with metal-on-metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty. To quickly review, metal-on-metal hip-resurfacing arthroplasty has the advantage of better wear properties, that is lower linear wear rate and volume of particles, than metal-on-polyethylene. However, elevated serum metal ion levels is one of the negatives which has received much attention recently. Studies have found smaller implant diameter and acetabular cup abduction angle of greater than 55 degrees are associated with elevated serum metal ion levels. Cup abduction angles of greater than 55 degrees led to a more vertical cup and edge loading. Desi et al. found that smaller implant diameter, large cup inclination, and lower postoperative functional scores are associated with increased cobalt and chromium levels after metal-on-metal hip resurfacing. They found that severity of preoperative osteoarthritis, acetabular version, femoral stem shaft and valgus angle, as well as anterior orientation of the femoral component had no effect on the circulating metal ion levels. DeHaan et al. obtained serum ion levels in 214 metal-on-metal resurfacing patients at least one year following surgery. They found that cup abduction angles greater than 55 degrees combined with smaller component sizes led to edge loading and elevated ion levels. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2. Smaller acetabular cup abduction angle is incorrect as elevated cup abduction angle leads to elevated serum metal ions. Answer 3. Higher postoperative functional scores have not been shown to increase serum metal ions. Answer 4, severity of preoperative arthritis has not been associated with increased serum metal ions. And finally, answer 5, antiversion of the acetabular cup between 10 and 20 degrees has also not been shown to increase serum metal ions. That's all for this review about where and osteolysis basic science. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.